0: Today, I'm continuing a series that I started teaching on lessons from Joseph. And I tell you, this is powerful. These are truths that God has taken from the life of Joseph. He's applied directly to me. And I tell you, this has saved my bacon more than one time. This ministers to me. You know, I started with these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, the reason these things were written were for our example so that we could learn through them. And that is exactly what's happened in my life. You know, I never personally went out and committed adultery and lied and stole and did dope and got drunk, and I've never done any of these things. And some people think, well, then how did you learn anything? The Word of God is given to teach us and to make us perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You don't have to learn everything by hard knocks. You can learn through the Word. And I tell you, I have gained tremendous revelation through Joseph, and I've applied these things to my life, and it has kept me on the path that God called me to when I was 18 years old. And I've not left it. Now, I've not done everything perfect. I'm not trying to present that, but I'm saying I've been seeking God and pressing in this direction, and there's times I've done it better than others. But I've been seeking God, and... The example of Joseph and others from Scripture are a big part of that. If you are up and down like a yo-yo and it seems like your life is inconsistent and stuff, I can guarantee you one of the reasons that you're like that is because you aren't learning from these people. You aren't keeping these things in front of you. You know, if you have problems with sexual sins, I guarantee you, you have not really studied the life of David and seeing what his sin with Bathsheba did. And how it cost him. And his own children died as a result. And there was hatred and division. And tens of thousands of people died during the war with his son Absalom. And on and on. And you can just see these consequences that pile up and pile up. If you were to meditate in that and really study these things and keep those examples in front of you, I guarantee you, you would not live in sexual sin. If you would study Proverbs chapter 8 and chapter 10 and other scriptures where it describes the adulterous woman and how that she flatters you and does all this, but her... Uh, it steps down to hell. Her path leads to hell. And if you were to keep these things in front of your eyes, it would keep you from going out and committing adultery. If you were to take take the scriptures that talk about whoever is deceived by wine is not wise. It's like a person who's trying to sleep on top of a flagpole. Imagine that. How are you (laughs) ever going to stay up there without falling and hurting yourself? Man, that's what the scripture says. Who is... Who has woe? Who has misery? Who has all of these problems? He that tarries long at the wine. And if you were to keep scriptures like this in front of you, I guarantee it'd keep you from being an alcoholic and being drunk. Uh, It's just amazing. The Word of God is given to literally set us free. Not to bind us, but to set us free. And the reason our lives are so messed up is because of our ignorance or our ignoring or rejection of Scripture. Our society today has so many problems. All of the things that are happening in our society, the violence in our schools and all of this, people sit there and say, we need more gun regulation. We need metal detectors. We need all of this. Did you know back in the beginning days of our society, and uh, all of the kids used to bring guns with them to school and you didn't have these mass shootings? You know why? Because we had morality. There was a godly restraint in the lives of people, but our society has systematically rejected the Word of God and the standards of the Word. Don't let our children pray in school. Don't mention God and on and on. And because of it, that absence of godly influence has allowed Satan to just have free reign. All of these things are happening because people are not studying the Word of God. So anyway, I say all those things just to say that, man, Joseph is a great example. I have learned so much through him. We've already covered how that God gave him dreams. He gave him a word. He didn't have the written word. He got the word, the revelation of God through dreams. He knew that someday he would be exalted to such a place that his brothers and father would even come down and bow down and worship him. And yet, when he started proclaiming that, everything seemed to go bad. He went from a position of being highly favored in this rich house to where he was uh, nearly killed by his brethren, sold into slavery, and standing on the auction block, he was still a prosperous man. He was believing God. The favor of God was on him. He was bought by Potiphar. Potiphar prospered him. He became the leader of his whole household. But Satan still came after him through the master's wife. She tried to get him into sexual sin, and he refused to do it because he said, how could I sin against God and do this great wickedness? He had a personal relationship with God that even though he could have gotten by with having a sexual relationship with his master's wife, and you know, in, in just the natural, carnal, physical way of looking at things, it would have been satisfying, and here he was in a bad position where everything was going wrong. He could have thought, I owe this to myself. I need to indulge myself. But man, he just stayed faithful to God. And because of it, he was put in prison unjustly. His integrity caused him, it looked like, just to keep going lower and lower and lower. Most people would, they are so in tune with the physical things around them instead of in tune with God that they just wouldn't, wade through all of these negatives that it takes to get to that place of fruitfulness. They would have compromised. They'd have given in. They'd have said it's not worth it. But you know, we have hindsight. We can see now the whole story and of course we know that Joseph got promoted and he became the, the strongest man in all of Egypt outside of Pharaoh himself. He was ruling over entire nations, other nations and all of these things. All of his dreams with his brethren and his fathers came to pass. Because we know the end of the story, it was well worth the effort. But at this time, it took a visionary. It took somebody who was operating in faith to see that someday it was going to be worth maintaining your integrity and in serving God. So he, his master's wife lied about him and he got put in prison. And so in Genesis chapter 39 and in verse 20, it says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Did you know, again, this is just like Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, where Joseph was standing on the auction block, and he, God says he was a prosperous man, and God's favor was on him. Most people would say, that's not prosperous. That's poverty. That's poverty. That's being a slave. Most people would look at him in prison and say, this isn't God's favor. God's not with him. God's forsaken him. See, this is what people would say. And sad to say, Satan will even get us to say it to ourselves. When things don't look like they're working, there's a temptation to think, well, God's just forgotten me. You know, again, my own personal experience, I had this relationship with the Lord. God put in my heart that I was going to reach millions of people worldwide. And then the first church I pastored had a maximum of 12 people coming. Usually it was just five. And I did that for two years. And then for the next two years, I pastored a group of about 50, maybe 60 maximum. And I did that for two years. And then I went to a place and we had 100 people coming to church. Now that was relatively good because the the town only had 144 people in the town. So that was some positive things, but still that's a far cry from ministering to millions of people worldwide. And did you know that during this period of time, everybody else, anytime I'd speak forth my vision, would sit there and tell me, you're crazy. People are staying away from your meetings by the thousands. You're reaching dozens, not millions. And they would just criticize my vision, say it's never going to happen. And you know what? There was times that I thought It was never going to happen. And I had to fight and resist those things and fight discouragement. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison. You cannot evaluate God's favor on your life just in terms of physical things. You have to go by what God has spoken to you. And there is a period of time in between when you receive that vision and when you say, there it is, and can see it come to pass. And you're going to have to remain faithful and walk by faith during the meantime. But the Lord was with him in prison. And look at this. You can see that the Lord was with him because in the next verse it says, And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Again, this kind of favor and prosperity on a person doesn't come to pass without their cooperation. If you're in unbelief, if you're in rebellion, if you're sitting there sucking your thumb and complaining about how bad things are, I guarantee you, you are not going to see this prosperity. Again, the very fact that the keeper of the prison saw this and entrusted all of these prisoners to Joseph speaks volumes about Joseph. Joseph was not a defeated, bitter, angry person. You know, we just had a guy who's a friend of mine who has spoken in our Bible college before. Uh, I reconnected with him, and he asked to come speak in our Bible college. And anyway, they asked me about him. They said, do you want him to come speak? And I said, well, he's spoken before, and yes, I would have him come speak again. But I said, you just need to be careful because there is a hurt in this man. There is a bitterness in this man that every time I've ever heard him speak, it comes out. And he was treated unfairly by some major ministries, and he's had some bad things happen. But this bitterness is always there. And when he spoke in our Bible college before, I had to come in afterwards and kind of clean up some things because there were some people that picked up on it, didn't know what was happening. I had to explain to them. The point that I'm making is most of us get bitter over things. We sit there and, and it influences us. But Joseph wasn't like that. Here was Joseph in prison. If anybody had a right to complain and to be griping and complaining and just throw up his hands and sit over in the corner and just sit there and waste every single day in nothing but depression and discouragement, it was Joseph. Joseph would have been justified by most people's standards to do that. But Joseph was succeeding and excelling even in prison, so much so that the, the keeper of the prison just turned everything over to Joseph. Now, it doesn't say it in this instance, but in the New Testament during the time of the Romans, if a keeper of a, a jail or a prison had a prisoner escape, then whatever punishment was going to happen to the prisoner, they did it to the jailer. If the prisoner was going to be executed, they would kill the jailer. And you can see this in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts because there when the earthquake came and everybody's prison doors were open and uh, the jailer awoke from his sleep and he just supposed that the people had fled and he knew that he would be put to death. So he was going to kill himself. And Paul had to cry out and say, don't do yourself any harm. And the man wound up getting born again as a result. But that's the way it was under the Roman system. I suspect that it was the same under this Egyptian system. And maybe if it wasn't total death, he was going to be punished if something happened because he was the one that Pharaoh had designated to keep this prison. So the very fact that the keeper of the prison just put everything into Joseph's hand and didn't even know what was going on. He didn't even ask. It shows that he saw the favor of God on Joseph. He saw the faithfulness of Joseph. He saw God's blessing on Joseph. That doesn't happen when a person is just sitting in their house in the dark, depressed with the lights off, sitting there just licking their wounds and doing things. This says volumes about Joseph once again, that Joseph was still serving God. He still was hopeful. He still was believing that the word that God had given him was going to somehow or another come to pass. Joseph was still in faith. You don't see this kind of anointing, this kind of uh, advancement, and other people seeing the blessing of God on your life if you're in defeat and discouragement yourself. If you're in unbelief, that doesn't come across. Again, without saying it, this says that Joseph was still faithful. He was still believing God. He was still a positive, happy person. He was still trusting God after years and years and years of this. This story goes on to say that he interpreted these dreams from these two prisoners, and it was two years later when one of the prisoners remembered Joseph and told Pharaoh and brought him out. So we don't know the total amount of time he was in the prison, but we know he was there at least two years. And again, we know from um, Genesis chapter 41 that Moses, I mean, excuse me, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. Genesis 37, 2 says he was 17 years old when he got these dreams. So that's 13 years, at least two of those years, maybe two, three, or four of those years, he was in prison. The other time he was in Potiphar's house as a slave. But for 13 years, Joseph had been just treated wrong, sold into slavery, nearly killed by his brethren, sold into slavery, lied about by the master's wife, put in prison... Everything that was happening to him was, was wrong. And yet for 13 years, this man maintained his faith, maintained his positive attitude, kept believing God and kept trusting God. Let me just say to you that, you know what, I'm not saying you haven't had bad things happen to you. I'm not saying you haven't been through some problems. You may be in a terrible situation. But is it any worse than what's happened to Joseph You know, I just really don't believe that there's a single one of you that could sit there and say that what's happened to me is worse than what's happened to Joseph. And Joseph had had terrible things. Unjustly, his brothers hated him and turned on him. And he nearly got killed by them. Then he sold into slavery. And then because of his faithfulness to his master and his integrity to his God and faithfulness to his God, his master's wife lied about him and he got put in prison and He stayed in prison for years. And all of this was totally unjust. There's nobody that's been through stuff like that. If Joseph did this without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without the Word of God to encourage him, without examples like Joseph to encourage him, then what excuse do we have for doing all of these things? What excuse do we have for giving up, for being so discouraged? You know, I know the way I'm approaching this right now is not popular. I have people criticize me all the time. You aren't compassionate. You aren't sensitive. You don't understand the hurts that people have been through. And they talk about, oh, that pressures are worse today than they've ever been and all of these kind of things. You know, the Scripture says that there's nothing new under the sun. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. there's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The Word of God teaches that you know what? We can overcome all of these things. The way that the world approaches even Christian uh, religious people, you're just supposed to have compassion. You're supposed to sit down there and just be as depressed and discouraged as these people are. I'm telling you, if I get down and walla in defeat and discouragement the way that you are, I can't help you. I'm trying to draw you up and bring you up higher. I'm not trying to condemn you and make you feel bad, but I am trying to say that, you know what, get over it. There's nothing going on in your life that you can't handle. That scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, has helped me many times when I thought, God, I just can't handle anymore. This is more than I can take. I've remembered God said He wouldn't suffer me to be tempted above what I was able. If I I was in this situation, that must mean that I can make it or God would not have allowed it to happen. I'm not trying to condemn you. I am being compassionate on you. I'm compassionate enough to tell you the truth and try and get you to, to get up and get out of this situation. Get over it. You know, I had a situation where I moved to Pritchett, Colorado. And I gave this example earlier that, you know, I started out in Seagullville, Texas, 12 people maximum. I moved to Childress, Texas. We had 50 to 60. And even though that wasn't huge for the first time, it looked like we were going to eat on a regular basis. Uh, I could see light at the end of the tunnel and it wasn't another train. It looked like I was going to live. And the Lord told me to leave all of that and move to Pritchett, Colorado, a town of 144 people, 10 people in the church to give up whatever momentum I'd gained and go minister in this little place that if it's not the end of the earth, you could see it from there. It was that close. And after I moved there, it wasn't just a few weeks. I had people accusing me of committing adultery, stealing money from the church, doing drugs. I had people coming out against me and I just got so discouraged that I was going to quit. I just decided I was going to have a pity party I was waiting on Jamie and the boys to go to bed. And they they were in bed and I was waiting on them to go to sleep. And I was sitting at the kitchen table and I had already planned my pity party. I'd sent out all my invitations. All of the demons in Baca County, Colorado were showing up to attend my pity party. And I was going to go down into the basement and just tell the Lord how unfair this was, how I gave up so much to come there and just gripe and complain. And I knew I shouldn't do it, but I just thought I'll feel better if I do. That's what the world has to say. And as I sat down and just waiting on them to go to sleep, I happened to turn over to Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And as soon as I read that, I knew my own teaching, the things that the Lord had shown me, that in the Spirit I had love, joy, and peace in my flesh, in my emotions, I had discouragement. I just wanted to quit. I was ready to give up. I was ready to throw in the towel. And I knew what that scripture said and I knew that this was the Lord telling me, you stand and don't give in to this. But man, I wanted to give in to it. I wanted to just get down on the floor and cry and gripe and complain. But as I prayed about it, the Holy Spirit began to remind me of things. He gave me... He reminded me of visions that God had put in my heart. And anyway, by the time Jamie and the boys got to bed, I went down into the basement and instead of doing what I wanted to do, what I felt like doing, I did what I knew I was supposed to do. And I just started praising God and thanking God and worshiping God when it looked like that there wasn't a single reason to be doing it. I did it by faith. And I tell you, within just a short period of time, I mean the joy of the Lord, the power of God was flowing through me. And praise God, I made it. I don't know what the results would have been if I'd have given in to that. It's possible that, you know what, that would have been the end of my ministry. It's possible that, man, I'd have been struggling ever since then. It's probable that you certainly wouldn't have ever seen me on television. You'd have never gotten anything good from me. You know, it was a turning point. And there's some of you right now that you may be at a place and you just feel like, well, how much does God want me to take? There's no temptation taking you but such as you can handle. God's faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted above that. You're able. Look at Joseph. Joseph was able to still be praising God even in the pit, even in prison. If Joseph did it without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without the Word of God, without some television preacher trying to encourage him and build him up, you can do it. I'm not saying these things to be hard on you. I'm saying it to help you. You need to encourage yourself in the Lord. You need to stand up. Don't give up. You've got to get to where God's Word to you is louder than the circumstances, louder than what you see, louder than what you feel. And I've used my testimony, interwoven it in here many times, but the... Testimony of Joseph, what he went through. I have used this, applied it to myself. And there have been times where in the natural, there wasn't one single evidence that God's will for my life was coming to pass. And yet I've been able to just walk by faith and not by sight to a large degree because of the example that I see through Joseph. If I did it, if Joseph did it, you can do it. I've used a lot of scriptures on this. So here's Joseph in prison. And let me show you some things that will once again speak to who Joseph was and what kind of a person he was. Look at this in chapter 40, Genesis 40, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. Notice the very wording right here. It says that Joseph served them. You know, again, if somebody had remained faithful to God after being forsaken by your brothers, sold into slavery, And all of that, then when they were lied about by the master's wife and thrown in prison, most people would just be sitting there thinking about themselves, not ministering to anybody else. But this says that Joseph served these people. You know, again, this isn't the way you think of a jailer, uh, you know, administering things with the people that are under his control. Instead, it's usually, you know, like you're the Lord, you command them, you treat them like scum and stuff, and that's the way that it's done. But Joseph served them. He was ministering unto people, even in prison. Instead of just complaining about how bad things were, he was making the best of the situation. He was there for a reason. He was serving people. And look at this. In verse um, 5, it says, "...and they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, to which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked on them and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of the Lord's house saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? Now, before we go on with this story, think about this. It says that Joseph was serving them. I don't believe that that means he was lording it over them and treating them like a tri- typical Jew, uh, jailer But he was ministering to these people. Joseph was blessed of God, and he was spreading this blessing. He was ministering to people. And when he came in and saw the chief uh, butler and baker sad, that was unusual. And he said, why are you sad today? Now think about that. They're in prison. You know, if you walked into a prison, I've been into a lot of prisons, into penitentiaries, into county jails, and minister to people. And when I go in and I see somebody sad, I don't sit there and think, why are you sad? <laughs> There's a million reasons. One thing, sitting behind those bars, who knows all the things that are going on. For you to walk into a prison and say, why are you sad today? You know what this is saying? That this was unusual for them to be sad. Apparently, the chief butler and the chief baker had been happy prior to this. Why is that? because Joseph was serving them. Did you know that these people probably were being treated with more respect, more kindness, they were probably being honored more in prison than they were out of prison. You know, I could imagine working for a Pharaoh would be a hard pressure job, high pressure job. And all you, you know, you got to do everything just perfectly, and they gripe and complain over the way the food is served, over the way it's cooked, and, all of these things. But here they were in prison in a place where typically they would have been treated badly and yet the ruler of the prison was treating them kindly and ministering to them. The very fact that it says here that he came in and noticed that they were sad and said, why are you sad today? That to me speaks volumes about what Joseph was doing. Joseph was ministering to these people and these prisoners were probably being treated better in prison than they had ever been treated out of prison. And this is by a man who had been hated by his brothers. They tried to kill him. He barely escaped with his life, sold into slavery, then lied about by the master's wife. Everything that had happened to him had been bad, and yet here he is still making a positive impact on people around him, people in prison. Man, that's powerful. This is one of the lessons that I learned from Joseph. Did you know none of us just go from where we are having never been used of God into the complete fulfillment of what God has for our lives. There is a lot of growth in between when God calls us and when we actually see the fruit of it. And the sad thing is that how we respond and how we act and how we occupy during that period of time really determines how much fruitfulness we see later on. You know, I've said this to many people who want to be in ministry. I was in Phoenix, Arizona one time, and I was speaking at a church, and they had a driver that picked me up from the hotel and drove me back and forth. And anyway, you know, typically, the driver sat in the front seat. He wanted me to sit in the back. Well, I got up front, and I was trying to talk to him, and I was asking him questions. And I mean, this is over a period of three or four days, and he drove me back and forth all of these times. And the guy really wouldn't talk to me. I mean, I just couldn't engage him. You could tell that he was discouraged. Something was bothering him. He wasn't rude or anything, but he just wasn't happy and he wouldn't talk. And so anyway, one of the last days, I just kind of got in his face and I said, what's going on with you? What's wrong? I said, it's obvious that you are not really uh, enjoying the Lord. And he just began to dump on me. And he had been a very successful minister someplace else. He came and joined up with this large church because he thought he would get an opportunity to minister and to preach and to impact people's lives. And all he had been doing for a year or whatever was driving speakers back and forth, being kind of like a, you know, a gopher, just doing whatever needed to be done. And boy, he was mad about it, and he was complaining. He said, I hadn't got to preach, and nobody's listening to me. And he just, he just went off on this tirade. And so I got to talking to him and I said, I wonder why they don't let you preach with this attitude that you're expressing right now. I said, "Uh, what would it be like if you were to stand up and preach with this hurt and this anger and this bitterness that you have in your heart? And boy, it just kind of, you know, like slapping him in the face. He just straightened up. And I said, you know what? You are just full of bitterness and hurt. And I said, who wants to give you a platform to spew that and share that with other people? And then I began to share with him some of these same things, that you and how you fulfill this position, whether you do this heartily as unto the Lord, whether you can be content, not being the person behind the pulpit, but the one who's driving the speakers back and forth. I said how you act right now, how your degree of faithfulness right now determines how far God's going to take you in the future. And some people think, well, that's, you're talking now about performance. What about grace? You know what? It's like I've got 500 employees and I love all of them. I'm not mad at any of my employees and I try and treat every one of them good. But when it comes time to promote somebody, did you know what? I am not going to promote the person with a bad attitude because I don't want to put them in a position to where they can just influence more people and spread this bad attitude. It has nothing to do with my love or grace towards this person, but your promotion to a large degree does depend upon whether or not you're faithful in lesser things. Jesus said this in the 16th chapter of the book of Luke. He says, if you aren't faithful in that which is least, you will not be faithful in that which is much. If you haven't been faithful in another man's things, you will not be faithful over your own. And I guarantee you, you do need to prove yourself faithful. So I started speaking to this man and I said, you know what, if you would serve the people that you're picking up and driving around. And if you would do it with joy and do it as unto the Lord and treat them the way that you would want to be treated, the way that the Lord would want other people to treat you. I said, and if you were faithful in this, then God would promote you unto something else. And I never got to talk to the guy anymore. I don't know exactly what the results of it was, but see, I see all of this in Joseph. Joseph had Taken just step after step after step all down. Looked like they, they were going away from God's plan for his life. And yet here he was serving these people to such a degree that it was, it was unusual. It was abnormal to have somebody in jail who wasn't happy. Boy, that speaks volumes to me. Boy, what a great attitude. What an awesome attitude. You may know that God has more for you than what you are doing right now. But what kind of an attitude are you serving and operating in right now? You need to learn a lesson from Joseph. That you know his promotion ultimately was was dictated by his faithfulness in the prison. The very people that he was ministering to in the prison are the ones that eventually got him in front of Pharaoh and let him fulfill his destiny. You right now may be in some situation where you, you know, you're working in a church and you're, you're just, uh, I don't know, working in a nursery, cleaning toilets or who knows whatever it is that you're doing. And you think, what does this matter? You need to do it as unto the Lord with everything that you've got. You know, when I first started ministry, I started out in the nursery and I started changing diapers and ministering to people. And then I graduated to the youth and well, to real young kids and then to teenagers and I went through all of these steps. And you know what? I gave it everything I had. And I was doing it like it was, the only, it was the thing I was going to do the rest of my life. And I'm telling you, I think that all of us go through these stages. There's steps and stages. Over in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, You uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't think you just step from where you are into the fullness of what God has for you. There's steps and stages. The good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God. In Mark chapter 4 down around verse 28 and 29, it says there's first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. Again, implying steps and stages. You grow into things. You know, I used to pray and say, Oh, God, use me and beg God to use me. And the Lord finally spoke to him and he said, The reason I'm not using you is because you aren't usable. He says, Don't ever ask me to use you. Instead, you pray and make yourself usable. And the moment you get usable, I'll use you. And I believe that that's true for everybody. You know what? We need to just be faithful right where we are. We don't need to be saving up for when... You know, the grandstands are full and then we're going to give it everything we've got. While nobody's watching, you need to give it everything you've got. First Samuel chapter 17, you can see that David, when he went to fight Goliath, the king said, you can't do this. He's a man of war from his youth and you're but a youth. You'll never make it. And you know what David said? This is his own response to people saying, you can't do it. He said, your servant kept his father's flock on the backside of the desert. And there came a lion and a bear out against them. And I grabbed the lion by his beard and slew him with my bare hands and the bear. He said, I killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. David's own response was, because I did these previous things, I know I can do this. But see, there's a lot of people that wouldn't be faithful on the backside of the desert. There wasn't anybody watching. The grandstands weren't full. Even though David's father wanted him to protect the sheep, he didn't want David to lay his life down. He didn't want David to die in the process. Nobody would have faulted David if he would have let the lion and the bear have one sheep. But you know what? He was just as faithful. He put his life on the line and gave everything he had to protect those few sheep. And because he did that, then when the giant came, he could do that. But see, there's a lot of people that won't be faithful on the backside of the desert when they're just running a little youth department or a, t- a youth uh, teenage department, things like this. They aren't going to do that. But, oh, if I had a thousand-member church, then, God, I'd be awesome. I'd serve you with everything I've got. You need to serve, God, with everything you got wherever you are right now. Whatever your situation is today, you need to do it with everything you've got, as if this is the only day of your life, the last day of your life, and you're going to give it everything you've got. See, I learned that from Joseph. I see him ministering to people in prison to such a degree that it is abnormal for somebody under his watch to be sad. Man, he's ministered to them all. That's amazing. You know, if Joseph hadn't have been faithful, if he hadn't have learned to serve and just draw on the power of God when nobody around him believed, when everything was around him was wrong, if he hadn't have been faithful in those things, he wouldn't have been faithful in much. So now we've come to the point where these two people, the butler and the baker, they had each a dream in one night, and that's the reason that they were sad. And so uh, Joseph said, "Tell me the dream." and they told the dream, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but the interpretation of the dream was, first of all, he interpreted the butler's dream, and he said, the interpretation of your dream is that in three days, Pharaoh is going to lift you up and restore you back to your butlership, and you will once again serve in the presence of Pharaoh. You're going to be delivered out of this prison. When the... uh, Baker saw the positive interpretation. Then he told Joseph what his dream was and Joseph interpreted it and says in three days, you're gonna be uh, taken out of prison, but you're gonna be hung and put on a tree and Pharaoh's gonna kill you. And it came to pass just exactly the way that Joseph had interpreted these dreams. And he told the butler, he says, now when all of these things come to pass, remember me and recommend me to Pharaoh because it's unjust that I was sent Sold into slavery, it's unjust that I was put in prison. And he just asked for him to remember him and mention him to Pharaoh. But the, it ends in the 40th chapter uh, by saying, but the uh, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. And then it goes into the forty fourth chap- 41st chapter, and two years later, after this dream had come to pass, one had been hung, the other had been restored to his position, two years later pharaoh had a dream and he came in and presented this dream to all of his um, people he called in all the magicians and all of the people that they use for things like this and not a single person could interpret it and then the butler said i do today remember my faults and he says that there was this man and he told pharaoh about joseph and so uh, pharaoh called for joseph and brought him out of the prison and brought him before him. And let me just point out a couple of things here. In Genesis chapter 41 and in verse 14, it says, and Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him out, they brought him hastily out of the dungeon and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. Before I go into the rest of this, let me just make a point out of this. In a way, this is a small thing, but it's a big thing. And it really does give us insight into Joseph. Here was Joseph in the prison, and all of a sudden his great opportunity comes. Here he is going before Pharaoh, and I believe in his heart he knew that possibly this was the way that these dreams were going to come to pass. And he just saw this as a great opportunity. And notice it says that he uh, shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. In other words, he made himself look presentable. You know, this is a small thing, but it's a big thing, that there's so many people that they want excellence. They want to have a great position. They want to have a well-paying job. They want people to respect them. And yet, they don't even take care of some simple things like the way they've looked. You know, I was walking through our building one day, and I just happened to walk by as a guy who came, came in and applied for our IT department. And he was wearing these poverty jeans, is what I call them, the jeans that have holes all through them. He was wearing flip-flops. He was unshaven. He hadn't combed his hair. You know, there's a lot of people that fix their hair now so that it looks uncombed on purpose. But I don't think this guy had even combed his hair. And he smelled. He was dirty. He was wearing an old T-shirt that had holes in it. And he came and applied for a job. And I didn't say anything right then. But when he left, I went into the guy who interviewed him. And I said, "Uh, what was this about? And he said, he came for a job interview. And he said, man, he's got great qualifications. I said, I don't want him. I don't want this guy working for me." And he says, Well, you want to hear his qualifications? I said, No. I said, The way that this guy presents himself and the way he looks says volumes to me. If this is the way you present yourself before you even get a job, what's it going to be like once we hire him? And I know that there's people who sit there and say, Well, that's prejudice, and you're judging a book by its cover. I'm aware that you can get a person to dress up and clean up and look nice, and that doesn't mean that on the inside they're going to be a quality person. But I can guarantee you a person that just doesn't give a rip and stinks and smells, comes in unshaven, all these kind of things, I just—that that is not a person of excellence. Now, I'm not saying you have to wear a three-piece suit. I don't do that. But I'm saying I at least comb my hair. I at least clean up. I put a breath mint in sometimes and stuff. You know, you need to do some minimal things. To me, this is an important fact that here's Joseph, and it just reflects, see, that this was a man of excellence. Everything he did with was with excellence. He portrayed himself. He presented himself. There are people that would love to be the CEO, but, man, you're such, you know, forgive me for being blunt, but you're just such a slob. You're so sloppy And you don't do things with excellence and you wonder why nobody promotes you. And I know somebody's saying, well, they shouldn't be judging me based on appearance and stuff. Well, wake up and realize that people do judge you based on appearance. You know, my own children, they got tattoos. And at one time had all of these big old things in their ears and piercings and their eyebrows pierced and stuff. And, And we went through all of this kind of stuff. And I said, look, I love you. I don't care what you look like. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to love you. But I said, you know what? That portrays an attitude. Oh no, people are wrong. They shouldn't judge me and stuff. Well, guess what? As they finally got out of the house and did things, they just realized that, you know what? You can't get a job. You can't go. Most people aren't going to hire you. You look weird like this. And guess what? They got rid of These piercings, of course, they still got the tattoos, but they got rid of the piercings and they've had to change around and just realize that whether they, regardless of what they think, people are going to judge you based a lot on how you look and how you present yourself. Again, I say this is a small thing, but it's a big thing that if you want to see God prosper you and promote you, you need to care about how you present yourself, how other people look at you. And to me, this is indicative of the way that Joseph was. Joseph wasn't depressed. He wasn't just giving up. He was standing in faith. He saw this as an opportunity and he presented himself the best that he could. Now, he was coming out of the prison. He probably didn't have the fancy clothes that Pharaoh had and all of the people that were around him, but he put on the best stuff that he had. He shaved himself. He cleaned himself. You need to present yourself properly. So anyway, Pharaoh began to tell him his dreams, and these dreams, he had two dreams in one night. One of them was about these uh, seven fat cows that came up out of the river, and they fed in the meadow. And then afterwards, there were seven lean cows that came up that were just pathetic looking, some of the worst cows he had ever seen in his life. They came up out of the river, they ate the fat cows, and even after eating them, they were still lean. And so he woke. And then he had a second dream and he had these seven ears of corn that were just full and lush, beautiful looking ears of corn. And after them, there were seven ears of corn that came up that were blasted by the east wind. They were pitiful looking. And the the, uh, corn that was uh, deficient ate up these fat ears of corn and they still looked bad. So he woke and that was the dream. Nobody could interpret it to him. And Joseph told him, uh, look at this in verse 32, Genesis 41:32, and says, For that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. You know, this is a little piece of information that uh, I've gotten from this that has helped me a lot, and that is that, you know, when you get a dream once, God may be showing you something for the purpose of changing it. But when you get a second dream making the same point, According to this scripture, once it's doubled unto you, that's because this thing is going to come to pass. There is no alternate. God gave Joseph two dreams about seeing his brothers come and bow down to him. That meant that it was a fixed, established thing. And I believe that that was part of Joseph's heart. He's revealing it right here. And he had, through these 13 years, been trusting that God had shown me this thing twice, and he knew it was going to come to pass. So he interpreted this to Pharaoh, that what it meant was that there was gonna be seven years of plenty where the earth would just bring forth by handfuls. It would be in a superabundance. but then there would be seven years of famine afterwards and uh, the famine would be so severe severe, that all of the abundance would be forgotten because of the uh, lack caused by the famine. And then here is Joseph's application. And boy, there's a lot of things I could say about all of this. I'm just not going to take time to do it. But it's not only good enough to get a word from God, but then you need to know how to apply it. How do I respond to this? What do I do with it? Look what Joseph said unto Pharaoh. Um, In verse 33, it says, Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt, Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years and let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities and the food shall be for the store to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land perish not through the famine. Here's Joseph telling Pharaoh what to do. You know, some people would consider that arrogance, self-confidence, or something. But you know, if you were to back up in here, when the Pharaoh said, "I've heard that it's been given unto you to interpret dreams," and and here's what Joseph uh, answered Pharaoh and said in verse 16: "It is not in me. God hath given Pharaoh an answer." God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. In other words, Joseph made it very clear that his confidence and his boldness wasn't in himself. He wasn't an arrogant person. He was a person that was committed to God. He was functioning under the leadership that God had given him, this vision. And right here, when he's telling Pharaoh what to do, this isn't his self-confidence. This isn't brashness. This is just a man who trusts in God. He, he believes God, and it gives you an authority. Joseph was speaking to the most powerful man on the planet at that time. Pharaoh was the leader of the largest, strongest nation on the planet at this time, and here's Joseph telling him what to do. I tell you what, that is awesome. And again, it gives you an insight that Joseph, after 13 years of seeing all of these negative things happen, which would have defeated and discouraged most people, Joseph was still standing there confident in the Lord, bold and uh, speaking forth these things and basically became uh, the guy telling the strongest man on the planet what to do. I just think that's awesome. And it says in verse 17 and the, and the uh, excuse me, verse 37, and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this is a man in whom the spirit of God is and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him to rise in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee and they made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or his foot in the land of Egypt. (laughs) That's pretty powerful. Joseph woke up this morning in prison and then he woke up the next morning in the palace. He went from the pit to the palace in just a matter of minutes. And, you know, some people think, well, that's what I want. But let me ask you, have you for the 13 years that you've been going through adversity, have you been faithful? Have you been operating in excellence? Have you been ministering and and, uh, letting God flow through you and doing what you have at that moment, you know, with everything that you've got? There's a lot of people that would love this instantaneous change, but this change, it didn't really happen instantaneously. It might have looked like that. It might have looked like that in just a matter of moments, he went from the pit to the palace, but he had been in process for 13 years. He had been sowing for this for 13 years. And it's amazing how people just don't see this. That's like a person seeing a woman give birth to a baby and say, well, man, that was pretty good. It only took three, week, three hours or something like that. No, it took nine months and three hours. There's more to it than just that actual uh, birthing process. You know, I had a person come to me one time, one of my students, and they were really impressed by a message that I gave. And they said, how long did you study? How long did you work on that sermon? And I said, 32 years. At the time, that's how long I'd been in ministry. And see, he just thought, oh, I prepared for an hour or two hours or something and got all this together. No, it's 32 years. Now it's been 47 years for me studying these things. These things that I'm sharing with you today, I have meditated on these things for decades. I have applied it to my life. And it has taken me through some hard times and I'm seeing God's blessing on my life right now. And some people just want to immediately jump in and see these kind of things happen. But how are you standing through those hard times? I guarantee you there is always going to be this process when God drops a vision in your heart. And then there is going to be time in between when that seed is planted and when you see the fruit of that thing come up. And what you do in that gap in between that time determines the degree to which God is gonna be able to promote you and fulfill the things that he wants to do in your life. You have dreams and desires that aren't selfish and they aren't things that originated with you. They're things God put in your heart and yet everything in your life looks like it's never gonna happen. You can go to this story about Joseph and man, one of the things that this should do is put a tremendous hope in your heart that if this worked for Joseph, If it's worked for me, if it's worked for other people, it'll work for you. God is no respecter of persons. God wants to bless you. God wants to fulfill those dreams that he's put in your heart more than you want them fulfilled. But you have a large part to play in when they come to pass and how they come to pass, how much of it comes to pass. You need to take some lessons from Joseph on this. Look at this verse in Genesis chapter 41 And in verse 46, it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he was 30 years old. If you go back to Genesis chapter 37 and verse 2, he was 17 years old when God first gave him the two dreams about how that his brothers would come and bow down to him and he would rule over them. So that's a total of 13 years before the first positive thing happened in Joseph's life. God had given him these dreams, but it was 13 years of just negative things. Every time he did something, he was faithful and and had integrity before his brothers, and they hated him the more, sold him into slavery. But even in slavery... He maintained his integrity, his spirit of excellence. It says in Genesis 39-2 that God was with him and he was so blessed. It was so evident that Potiphar gave every bit of control over his house to Joseph. And he didn't even know what he had. He didn't even pay attention to anything. The only thing he knew was the food that he ate because he trusted Joseph so completely. And how did Joseph get rewarded for that type of integrity? well the master's wife lied about him and wound up committing him into prison accusing him of rape which he was absolutely innocent of he could have done it he could have done it and nobody would have told on him the master's wife wouldn't have told on him if he had had a sexual relationship with her because it would have been putting her own neck on the line and yet he refused and she got bitter at him because of it accused him of rape put him in prison and yet he still maintained his integrity and he still served God so much so that the prisoners were, I mean, rejoicing. It was unusual to see them sad. He interpreted the dreams for the butler and the baker. And even after he had done so many favors for them and done all of this, they forgot him for two years. It was two full years after that that Joseph remained in prison. We don't know the exact amount of time that he was in prison, but we know it was two years after he had interpreted these dreams to the butler and to the baker. And so it was probably three years, four years, could have been five, six years or something that he spent in prison. And he just maintained his focus. He was still operating with excellence. And then, I mean, in just a matter of an hour or two, he went from the pit to the palace. And some people see that. But really, it was, it was his faithfulness and his uh, keeping himself encouraged over all of those 13 years that caused this to come to pass. That is really, really important that you understand this because there's a lot of people that they will seek God because they desire a result, but they'll do it for a brief period of time and they just aren't committed to it. They, they, won't, they won't stick with something. You know, the Bible calls this patience. And if you, James chapter 1, if you let patience have her perfect work, you will be perfect and entire wanting nothing. There's not a lot of patience today. I mean, we have fast food. We have fast everything, fast cars, fast internet. Uh, they're just everything. It's as fast as we can get it. We live in a society that's all about getting what you want right now. And there's not a lot of people that will just continue to seek the Lord, hold on to their dreams, for year after year, decade after decade. You know, in my own life, I've mentioned this briefly in the past, but the Lord called me in 1968, put a vision in my heart. And it was really until 2000 before I really began to see the things that God put in my heart come to pass. And that's when I started my television ministry. The Lord spoke to me just prior to that in 1999, July the 26th, I believe it was, of 1999, and he, he showed me, he says, if you would have died before you started on television, you would have missed my will for you. He said everything that you've done up from this time, that would have been 32 years. Everything that you've been doing the last 32 years was preparation to get you ready for this point. And you know what? I, how was I able to stand during that? I look back and man, uh, it's amazing to me, but I can tell you that one of the big factors was joseph the scripture says that these things are given so that we through them might learn not to commit these errors and to follow these examples and so god has recorded these things for our admonition for our encouragement and one of the ways when everything in my life looked completely contrary to what god had put in my heart one of the ways that i was able to stand is through the scripture And through looking at Joseph. You know in our society today we've gotten to where I don't know what to call it but used to when I was a kid you know you had a Western or something or a story. The good guys always won. Evil always got defeated and good always triumphed. Today it's turned around to where you'll have some of the main characters who are the ones that everybody's rooting for are actually the bad guys. And they're presented in a totally different light. And in an attempt to be realistic or true to life or whatever, they don't show the good always winning over the evil. And so my point is that today there isn't this same hope. There isn't this same confidence that if you just keep doing what's right, you're going to win. And there's people say, well, that's because that's not true. That's not the way it works in real life. No, it really is. It really is. You may not see it. Right now, you might be able to take a snapshot of something and make it look like uh, you know, evil triumphed and good doesn't always work. But if you look at things over a long period of time, the evil always gets snuffed out. And if you can't see it in your situation, in your life, in your lifetime, if nothing else, when we stand before God, there's going to be an accounting given of every single person Every tyrant, every abuse, every rotten thing that has ever, ever been done is going to be dealt with. The people who are mistreated are going to be compensated. Good is going to win over evil. If we don't see it in this life, we will certainly see it in eternity. And I'm telling you, it's just an attitude that a believer needs to have, that I don't care what's formed against me, Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises against me in judgment, I will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and my righteousness is of the Lord. That's the attitude that we need to have. And we need to know, like it says over in the book of Ephesians, that, you know, do service unto those who are over you, not as unto man, not men pleasers, but doing it as unto God, knowing that of the Lord shall we receive, whether we be bond or free. It doesn't matter your position. It doesn't matter if you're the boss or if you're the lowest paid person. If you would do things with excellence and keep serving and doing what's right, I guarantee you eventually you are gonna be prospered. You know, I see this in the secular world all the time. We have about 500 employees worldwide and i'm not the one who manages the whole ministry and controls everything but i see a lot of our employees and i see a lot of things going on and we've had some employees that just i don't know they just had a bad attitude and they probably thought i should be promoted i should be higher up than i am or whatever and anyway they just don't do a good job and wondering why nobody will promote them nobody wants to promote that attitude And then on the other hand, I see people come in who have, I've actually had some employees that worked for me for over 25 years that started as volunteers. They work for free and they became so, uh, we became so dependent upon them and what they were doing that eventually I just said, man, why aren't we paying this person? We started paying them within a short period of time. They were over an entire department in the ministry and they started as volunteers. work at all, no pay for their work. They were just doing it as under the Lord. And I guarantee you, you get rewarded when you have that kind of an attitude. You ought to take your business and you ought to be the best employee. You ought to give so much effort. You ought to give yourself to it that I guarantee you, your employer can't live without you. And you will be rewarded if you have that kind of an attitude. Somebody says, well, I wouldn't. My boss would, ne- they just to take advantage of me. Well, then you shouldn't be working there you ought to be smart enough to get out of that situation and go to a place where when you're giving it your all and you're doing a great job, you will be rewarded for it. Amen. I know that there's some people that this is not the way you think. And that's the reason that you don't go from the pit to the palace is because you know what? You're just working a job to get the money from it, but you aren't serving your employer. You aren't bettering the... Uh, place for being there. You have a rotten attitude. But when you get the attitude that Joseph had right here, it will promote you. And I have believed this. I have used this exact story of Joseph to encourage myself when I was pastoring. You know, the first little church I pastored, we had about five or six people that came on a regular basis. Our big attendance was 12. We met in a building that didn't have any electricity in it, no heat in the winter. And it was an old bank building, just a shell of a thing. And, I mean, it was, it was a pain. And we struggled. But you know what? I gave it everything I had. Man, I preached to those people like there was a thousand people there. I gave it everything I had. And then we moved from there to Childress, Texas. And in Childress, we met in my home. And I pastored a church there that meant in my home, and we had probably a maximum of 60 or 70 people, somewhere around 50 people. 40 to 50 people was probably the average. But you know what? I gave it everything I had. And then we went from there to Pritchett, Colorado, which there was only 10 people in the church in Pritchett. There was only 144 people in the town. You know what? It would have been easy to say, man, what's the, what's the point? Uh, it would have been easy to quit or easy to just take it, uh, you know, coast and not do very much. But I guarantee you, I gave everything I had to those people. We saw a man raised from the dead. And soon we had a 100 people coming to that little tiny church. And we saw awesome things happen. And you know what? I, I'm not saying that I did it exactly the way that Joseph did, that I did it with the excellence that Joseph did. But I used Joseph as a model that he had a dream and a vision and a promise from God. And God had put in my heart that someday I was going to reach the masses, that I would be speaking to people all over the world and having a worldwide impact. And this is when I was in a little place of 10 people in the church and a total of 144 people in the town. The next closest town had about 100 people in it. And then you had to travel even further to go to a place with about 1,000 people in it. I mean, if that wasn't the end of the world, you can see it from there. That's how close Pritchett, Colorado is to the end of the world. And yet I loved it. And I was just serving God and ministering to those people the best I knew how. And then God opened up doors, things began to happen. But all of those times that I was just giving it everything I had in these situations where it looked like the dream of reaching people worldwide was never going to come to pass. You know, that was very influential in what God did in my life. And the things that God is doing with me now and the things that I have to deal with now, you know, in a comparative sense, they're just a hundred times, a thousand times greater or whatever. But it's the same principles. It's the same lessons. If I hadn't have been faithful to God through some of those lean times, when I mean Jamie and I, I actually were going without food, we were wondering if we would be able to survive, if we would be able to come up with our rent money, and if I hadn't have trusted God and have stood and had given it everything I had and refused to get discouraged and quit back then, I guarantee you I wouldn't be able to handle some of the things I'm dealing with now. You know, for those of you that are watching this program on a regular basis, you'll know that we're building these buildings up in Woodland Park, and back during the month of December, I came out and showed how the Lord Uh, showed me that, man, I just needed to ramp it back up. I needed to get with it. And I mean, uh, I was expecting great results. And yet on the 20, uh, I think it was the 22nd of December or something like that, we just ran short of our weekly uh, check run that we had to give. And anyway, because of it, I had to shut down our construction. The exact opposite of what I was believing believing for. And so our building is about 50, maybe 60% complete up there, our second building. And we've had to pause construction, not really stop. We just paused. I'm believing that we're going to get back on track. And it's delayed some things. And you know what? Right now, I could be discouraged. I could be sitting here looking at, at that empty shell and doing these things and griping and complaining. And yet, I don't feel that at all and a lot of it is because of things just like this in Joseph's life. Joseph had setback after setback after setback and he just kept believing God, trusting the vision that was given him and because of it there came a time when eventually it all came to pass. You know, I I look at it, I see these things that happened to Joseph. I've seen lean times that God has brought me through and because of that I don't have any concern. I'm not discouraged, I'm not depressed over any of these things. It's just a a bump in the road. I guarantee you we're going to get over it. God is going to supply us our need. We will get these buildings done. And not only this building that I'm building right now, but we've got all kinds of things. Over the next five or six years, I've got a vision of $180 million worth of buildings going into that place up there. We're gonna turn this into a world-class Bible college campus where we can minister to thousands and thousands of people at one time, and it's gonna come to pass. And you know how I can get encouragement and confidence of things like that because of seeing how Joseph stood and how God was faithful to him. You can see the same thing, uh, just person after person after person. And because of it, it has taught me patience and it's taught me to trust that ultimately, if you keep doing the right thing and trusting God, God is going to bring those things to pass. So I want to take all of this and just speak to you today and say that regardless of what you're going through, if God has put a vision in your heart, you got to make sure it's a God-given vision, that it's not your own thing that you aren't just trying to use God to satisfy your own lust. But if God has given you a dream, if God has put a vision in your heart, regardless of what things look right like right now, regardless of how bad things have turned out, you need to hold on to that dream and take inspiration from Joseph. Thirteen years before the first positive thing happened, And yet Joseph just maintained his faith. He kept serving God. He did everything he did with excellence. And because of it, God took him from the pit to the palace and he became the second most powerful man in the world. That's awesome. That is awesome. And I don't care what you've been through. God can turn your situation around. I mean, just in a heartbeat. The same thing that happened for Joseph, this is still happening today. God is still doing miracles today. God is doing miracles in my life. He's doing miracles in the body of Christ. There's awesome things happening. It can happen for you. You know, I was watching a program one time Uh, Let me give you just a little bit of background. This is before our first son was born. This is back when I was pastoring this little place in Sigaville, Texas, where we had five or six people on a regular basis, maybe 12 maximum. And Jamie and I were struggling. Our first son was on his way. It was going to cost $600 to go to the hospital and have this birth and deliver this child. And you know, some people today think, man, that was cheap. Boy, that was like a million dollars to us. We had no way of coming up with $600. I mean, that was just huge. My first year's income after Jamie and I were married was 1200 and something dollars. That was our first year's income, and that was with $100 a month rent, not including utilities and stuff. I don't know how we made it. Our second year, our total income went up to $2,500. So $600 was a huge amount of money, and I was just so discouraged. We were two weeks away from the birth. It didn't look like there was any chance. We didn't have one penny of that $600, and it looked like we were destined to fail. And anyway, we were watching the 700 Club. Kenneth Copeland was hosting the 700 Club, and he was ministering out of 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, and he said, This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And I was sitting there listening to that and thinking, yes, Kenneth, I've heard this. I believe it. I've preached it. And I tried, and it just didn't work. And I mean, it's like he could hear me. And he says, don't tell me that you've tried it. You don't try this. You just do it. You commit to it. You don't just try it for a period of time. And I mean, I was shocked. It's like he heard my thoughts. And I said, well, I, I've done all that I know how to do. I don't know what else to do. And I mean, every Thought that I had, he just came back with something. I took it as God speaking directly to me. And he was. And you know what? I was just totally discouraged, ready to quit and give up. And yet, after listening to Kenneth just pound this verse that this is the victory that overcomes the world. If you aren't overcoming, you aren't operating in faith. And finally, after about 30 minutes of that, I just humbled myself and I said, All right, God, I'm still believing. I said, We haven't lost yet. And I got back up, and I started believing. Long story, but anyway, we, on the day of, of my son's birth, we had that $600. I mean, it was miraculous. And I went, and Jamie uh, delivered like at 520 in the morning, and so we were there real early. We missed a night's sleep. And after she finally, you know, the delivery was over, everything was good, I went home to get some sleep. And I didn't have enough gas to get from the hospital back home. Matter of fact, it wasn't actually home, it was Jamie's parents' house. We were living with them during this time because we didn't have enough money for rent. And I didn't know what to do and I pulled into a gas station. Now I'm not recommending you do what I'm doing. I just told, this is my testimony. I pulled into this gas station and I said, God, I don't have any money, but I've got to have gas. And I just stuck the nozzle in and filled up my car. And then I went in And I was going to tell the guy what I did. And I said, I'm sorry, but I don't have any money and just hope that he'd give me mercy. When I walked in there, there was a person who knew me. And he said, what are you doing here? Because this wasn't a town I normally lived in. And I said, well, my son was born today and I was over here at the hospital. He said, oh, well, let me buy your gas for you. Praise God he paid for that gas. I'm telling you that you can take hope from Joseph's story. It'll work for you. It's worked for me. It'll work for you.